Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about the human side of software development and Reframe 10x with Saskia Lindner. Welcome to the show, Saskia. Thanks, Daniel. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So I worked with you uh, last year on Reframe 10x, so I know a little bit about your background. Um, but for those who haven't worked with you, uh, what's your story? Where are you from? What are you doing at the moment? Yeah, so... Um... I'm originally from like the southwest of Germany and uh, after school I went to the US to work as an au pair and like I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and computer science and programming has always been something that was really fascinating to me but um, also kind of difficult to find my way into it but like after that gap year I realized that I really wanted to go ahead with that and study computer science so I moved to Berlin and started my bachelor and um, yeah, it was a bit of an interesting uh, ride, I would say, because as a beginner at university, it was quite a rough environment and um, it took me some time to really find my way into the programming world. And it kind of happened with, um, yeah, after a couple of years, with the closure bridge workshop so i connected to people from like in general programming communities and someone pointed me to that workshop and i had no idea what closure was i had no idea what this whole workshop was about <laughs> but uh, <laughs> i just went for it and um at university my first programming language that i ever learned was actually haskell <laughs> which is also <laughs> unusual i would say <laughs> But coming from Haskell and like, I mean, at the beginning in the first semester, I hated it. I was like, what is this? Why are we doing this? <laughs> but um, after a while, I learned to understand that, yeah, having had functional programming for the beginning was actually a great advantage. And having really understood that kind of thinking helped me to get really easily into the closure world. And then I went out of university and started my first job one year ago. Nice. And is that job with Clojure? Yes, it's a job with Clojure and Clojure Script, and our uh, legacy is in Ruby. Right. That seems to be a common common pattern I hear. Uh, Clojure and Clojure Script for the new stuff, and uh, Ruby was the, the prior language. Just going back to uh, your university time, so so was your, you were doing like a beginner's programming 101, and they taught it in Haskell, is that right, or...? Kind of, yes. I mean, I would actually say that we never really learned programming at university. It was kind of a prerequisite, which made it pretty tough because, um, yeah, uh, I had to learn programming on the side. But they taught us functional programming in the first semester, and we were supposed to use Haskell for that. So, yeah, <laughs> which made it even more fun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds tough. Um, and so uh, the Clojure community is pretty strong in in Europe and especially Berlin, uh, it seems to be a lot of a lot of names popping up in and around Berlin. Uh, so, what's uh, you already mentioned Closure Bridge, but what else is going on in Berlin with Closure? Yes, I mean there's there's a lot happening in Berlin in the Closure community, and I was super surprised because I had never heard of Closure before that. But um, yeah, that one day workshop really threw me into this world, and I was completely excited and motivated because. Yeah, finally, I I had found like a environment where people were super welcoming and super mindful about communication and everything. And um, so after the 
closure bridge workshop i went to a couple of conferences like there's dutch closure days there's closure d in berlin there's euro closure in different cities every year and uh, this year i was for the first time uh, in helsinki at closure Tree, i think and um The other things that happen here in Berlin on a regular basis that um, I also joined for a while, which is like the Berlin Closure Study Group. I actually don't know if they still continue, but like after the Closure Bridge workshops, they, yeah, they offered this for people from the workshops to actually have an opportunity to continue learning. So we came together every week and for the first hour, we would just like eat and talk and everybody would bring food. And then everybody could hack on some closure-related things and learn or work on some projects, which was incredible to just have that space at least once a week if you wanted to. And uh, the other event that I'm going to on a regular basis is the Closure Meetup. It's always a great space to yeah, to connect to people and to see what what everyone is working on. And yeah. For a really long time, I was very hesitant to speak in front of people. And um, the closure meetup really offered me a space to kind of like practice just having like short lightning talks and stuff like that to to get more comfortable speaking and uh, being in front of people, which was a great opportunity. And I always felt super welcomed and super safe in this community. Great. Um, and you were talking recently at uh, Closure D this year? Yes, exactly. That was yeah my first conference talk. So it was kind of like motivated by a colleague of mine. So he heard about this project that I worked on, like the Reframe 10X project. And he was like, well, why don't you give a talk about this at the Closure Conference? And I was like, yeah, actually, why not? So just kind of like trying to jump over my shadow. And yeah, so I talked about the project that we did in the summer together with you and together with a couple of other people from the closure community. And it was nice to also like in a way contribute back to the community that had offered me so much. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so we've, we've referenced reframe techniques a couple of times here. So do you want to talk a little bit about what it was uh, from your, you know, from your point of view, what is uh, reframe techniques? Yes. So maybe just also as a frame of like uh, why I was working on this, I applied to a program called Rates Go Summer of Code, and it's an opportunity for women to work on open source for three months together with someone else. Like you had to find a partner and then you had to find some coaches and um, yeah, work, find, a, find a project that uh, you want to work on. And through Arne, who's also like yeah, a member of the Berlin closure community, I knew that There was the Reframe 10X, or back then it was called Reframe Trace. And I started having a look at it. I never had uh, used Reframe before, also not ClojureScript. Um, so it was kind of a new field. But it was it was super fun. It was, a, it was a really great challenge to kind of like have that time frame of like three months and be like, okay, how can we work on a tool that supports the developer experience. So yeah, maybe as an explanation of what is Reframe 10X. So the people who are familiar with JavaScript's Redux, it's kind of like Redux DevTools, but just for ClojureScript and Reframe. 
it's making visible the application data. So like the data that you don't normally don't see and the data that you usually always have to print to the console. And it presents that data in like a filterable and yeah, just clear form, which makes it easier to debug and to understand like how the application works. I think one of the nice use cases that somebody also told me about was just getting to know a code base, basically. So they just start a project or like they get into a project and uh, start with next to like browse the application and understand how pieces are working together, which I think is a great use case as well. Yeah, that's one that I've found uh, quite useful on, on code bases that I'm new to that I can click around and see so I clicked something, something happened, uh, but but what was the event that actually made that thing happen? Um, and so with Reframe 10x, you can see the name of the event and the arguments that were passed to it uh, just right there, which is very helpful for, for trying to yeah, understand the context uh, of the app. Yes, exactly. And one of the things that I find it most useful for is um, really having the app state just visible all the time or also being able to like, drill down into like the nested uh, parts of the app state. And that was actually also one of the features that we worked on um, during the summer, Chris and I. And I also remember it was like quite a bit of work to figure that out because we're using uh, <laughs> CLJS dev tools. And <laughs> yeah, it was it was a fun, fun exercise, but also like a beautiful result of like, okay, now we can actually see the app state all the time. Yeah, that was something that, um, so Mike Thompson and I were, uh, I guess, supervising, mentoring. We weren't the coaches. We were another another class of people helping out with this. And I'd taken a look at using CRJS Dev Tools, which has got some sort of custom printers for closure data structures and tried to adapt it to Reframe 10X. And I wasn't able to get it to work. Um, I sort of could see what I wanted, but I couldn't quite get it. Um, and so we thought, all right, well, we'll, We'll give this to um, the girls working on Reframe 10x um, in this Rouse Girls Summer of Code and just see see how they go. Uh, and came up, you 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 did it, which was <laughs> was really we were uh, very very ecstatic when we saw that. Uh, so and that's something you know everybody's using every day now. So it's very uh, thankful for that. Yeah, I just think it's like great to have a tool that is actually like helping the development process because. There's so many frictions and so much stuff that happens during development. And I think, yeah, those tools can really support a lot um, in making that process a little bit easier and being able to focus on the important parts. Yeah. So another um, open source closure project I've seen you working on with a another Berlin developer um, is CLJ Doc from Martin Klepsch. So can you talk a little bit about what you've been doing there? Yes. So that's actually also a funny side note. Uh, Martin was my coach at the Closure Bridge workshop. So we, he was kind of like the person who introduced me to the whole <laughs> Closure world. And uh, yeah, as I said, like after that day at the workshop, I was just so pumped and so motivated. And I felt like there were so many great people working on, yeah, on important things. And um, over the years, I really learned to understand that on an e- even deeper level. So I met up with Martin just recently and he told me about his project and um, I was super excited. I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. So he wrote something called CLJ Doc, which is documentation for closure and closure script libraries. 
And what it does is it automatically generates the documentation for libraries that are pushed on GitHub. So if you write your doc strings, and if, I think if you make sure that like three or four points are um, covered, then you can find the documentation automatically on CLJDoc, which is, yeah, which is great because you don't have to put that extra effort into like making your documentation, except for making sure the doc strings are fine. And um, yeah, so we started even like coming together here in Berlin with like a couple of people who are interested. So first it was like a hangout session, then it was like a real meeting with people and starting to understand the code base and trying to figure out where we can uh, contribute. So that's another project that I really feel very excited about, especially also because um, Martin is really putting a lot of effort into creating a, a good community around the project, which is super good. So like he also values communication a lot and making people feel good working on something. And um, in my opinion, he manages that really well. So yeah, it's a cool project to be involved in. Nice. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think Martin's done, done really well uh, developing community around CLJ Doc. And so in your day job, what kind of closure scripts and closure stuff is going on there? Yes. So maybe also just as a side note, the first thing that I did when I started my job was uh, opening a pull request to get the reframe 10x in, <laughs> which was <laughs> super nice because I was like, okay, nice. I can actually use the thing that I worked on. <laughs> so at the beginning, I mostly worked on our like on a new closure script application that we wrote so it's reframe and it was kind of nice because it was a it was a very new project so i really could learn like okay what are like the what are the basic things that we need to get working with reframe and we have another reframe closure script app that is a little bit older and it was interesting to see that like those two projects are like if you look at the code, they're quite different, but if you look at the interface, they're quite similar. So it's also like interesting to just understand like different frameworks and like different ways of writing reframe even. So after a couple of months, I also moved a little bit into, into working like uh, with Clojure in the backend. So we have a microservice architecture where different services are talking to each other and I'm just super stoked that I have the possibility to work with Clojure and ClojureScript on an everyday basis. Like, yeah, not only the language is something that that just makes a lot of sense to me and it feels more natural to program than other languages. But at the same time, I also feel that the language is attracting certain kind of people or like the people that really like Clojure, I usually get along with super well so it's 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 a very funny yeah it's a very funny thing <laughs> so that brings us to more of the human human side of, of software development so can you talk a little bit about your your thoughts on collaboration with your coworkers and with other people yes this is a topic that has come up especially like in the last couple of months like more strongly and i'm super excited about this because for me there's so much potential that we have like every single one of us comes with a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge. And yeah, for me, it's kind of this uh, excitement about, okay, what happens if we come together and, and like work on something together? And what I see and what I hear a lot of times is that um, projects fail or 
like yeah there's just things like conflicts coming up or emotions bubbling over so it's not always like the technical side that is not working out but it's more like the human side that we as software developers need to figure out and for example this summer i went to a conference uh, called socrates and it's an unconference so you can suggest your own sessions and i also talked about this i also talked about yeah what is the human side of software development and how can we work better together as people so like first of all how do we take care of ourselves in a good way so that we're not stressed and just loading our stuff on other people and then at the same time like how can we really communicate in an empathetic and mindful way so that we're not driving other people away because i mean for me the goal is that we are connected so that we can work together and what happens a lot of time because of unconscious patterns or unconscious like communication is that there's disconnection and that it's really hard to like bring people back together and I have a lot of friends in Berlin or like a lot of people around me in general who who really work with these kind of like new ways of working together. So for example, a friend of mine called Jonathan Klott, he works a lot with businesses and like trying to transform businesses so that yeah, people work on the things that they're really passionate about and there's less friction, less conflict. And um one of the topics that I find super interesting in this um, perspective is collective leadership. Yeah, so what does it mean, collective leadership? Like, how can we move away from that hierarchical structure of having like one person who tells the rest of us what we need to do? And how can we go to something where we really all bring in our knowledge and our expertise and create something together? And I think the, the steps towards that are really understanding what comes in the way of human connection and how can we learn to bridge that gap. So can you talk a little bit more about that style of leadership? What, what does that kind of look like in practice? Yes, it's based on that like in every situation you you pick the person who has like the greatest um situative uh, intelligence so it's really about understanding that you are there as a group and you're not you're not only there as an individual and it's not about it's not about being the best and it's not about competition but it's about collaboration so it's really for example for me one important part is also understanding like where are people at right now like how are they feeling how are they doing what's happening in their life so that i just understand their reactions or like how they how they behave and once i have that understanding i'm much more able to be empathetic about what's happening and if if you develop that in a group of people you're able to support each other on a much greater level so if you understand like why a person for example is a little bit tired or frustrated it's easier to to help them out instead of also like working against that. So it comes really down to open communication and also like showing yourself in a vulnerable way. So understanding that if you make a request, it actually helps to give like a lot of context, like explain the person your situation and make a very clear and vulnerable request so that they understand where you're coming from. And I think that context is missing a lot in in our like yeah everyday work or 
in software development itself because the way that we think is very clear and rational and straight. So like we also tend to formulate things in a very straight and clear way. And then we forget about like the context that might be very important for other people. Yeah. What you mentioned about sort of understanding where someone's coming from, that's that's one of the a cognitive bias I always find quite quite interesting where, you know, when you try and attribute like what someone's intentions were behind some behavior, commonly we attribute negative connotations to why someone did something. But when we examine our own actions, we sort of have positive explanations for what we did because we, I guess, can't see inside the mind <laughs> minds of others. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really good point because it's really about understanding that the mind likes to make like interpretations or likes to like imagine the worst in a case also. So um, if you don't give that room or if you don't give that space of like, yeah, interpretation, if you just make it very clear, then the other person knows, okay, this is what's happening. And it's something that we need to learn. Like it's not something that comes very natural, but I see how it can change interactions, relationships, everything. So yeah, I think that's a really valuable skill. Yeah. And so another thing you mentioned was uh, personal well-being. Uh, so I guess looking after yourself, getting enough enough sleep, what are some other sort of things that are important or that people might not be thinking of straight away when they think of personal well-being? Yeah. So for me, over the last couple of years, I think the strongest thing that I've been working on is really awareness. And I mean, awareness is also just like this word, but um it's really about being aware of my thoughts, like what is happening inside of me when I'm going through life or like when things happen on the outside and also like what is happening inside of my body. So just like being aware of body and mind and also how they work together, because in the end, our thoughts do influence our life in a very strong sense. So one of the tools that really works for me is meditation and yeah, there's this uh, misconception of like, oh, it's all about having to stop thinking and all of that. But it's it's not really about stop thinking. It's really more about like becoming aware and like understanding what's happening and not being too identified with my thoughts. So I think that's one of the things that really helped me to live a more relaxed and uh, happy life. And yeah, everything that brings me into that balance of uh, body and mind, basically. So I love programming and I love thinking about like complex problems. And at the same time, I also really love, for example, dancing or anything that gets me out of the head. And I think it's really important to remind ourselves that we need that balance. We need that balance of like doing and being and it can be very easy to sit on a project and just like get very excited and for hours and hours you're just like doing that but um i'm all, always trying to remind myself that yeah taking breaks in between going for a walk go outside or doing something some exercises or just anything that feels good for the body but not for the mind and um i see how how that has changed a lot for me nice how has that kind of changed how you interact with your own colleagues um uh, how you communicate with them perhaps or anything like that yeah for me it's very beautiful to see that uh, i'm not afraid 
to talk about difficult things, for example. So like one thing that I see a lot is that, I mean, talking about normal things is easy and everybody does it. But as soon as there are like some problems or conflicts, it's kind of like people, everybody feels it, but not a lot of people actually like say, okay, this is happening right now. Or like, let's do something about this. And I'm really trying to start more of these like difficult conversations because I see that if I do it in a mindful way, it actually changes something for the positive. And um, one other thing that I also just started at uh, the company that I work at is um, sort of a sharing circle. So a couple of times a week we meet together and everybody gets to share just like how they're feeling and what's happening for them. And then also what kind of topics they want to bring up that are important uh, in terms of like how we work together because most of the meetings we have it's more about like okay making decisions on technical stuff or yeah it's it's always very focused on what's happening at the moment and i think it's important to kind of zoom out of that and understand like the bigger picture like how are we working together like what are the little things that we could change about yeah our work environment or our processes and it was very beautiful to see that I mean I'm very excited about these kind of topics but it was very beautiful to see that like also my colleagues um, find a lot of value in it and yeah it's also very important to them so I'm super happy to be in an environment where I can also like bring that side of me in and yeah where there's just a lot of openness and curiosity. Great yeah that sounds like a really good way to work with your team and so people all in the same building are they in sort of different offices remote work how does that kind of thing work yeah so i work for zimpler they're a swedish company working with mobile payments and uh, financial well-being and they have two offices like the main offices are in stockholm and gothenburg and last year when i started working for them uh they opened a new office in Berlin. So it was also a very special opportunity for me as a beginner or like new person in this whole field, being able to create with two other people. So we were only three. And then we were able to create the kind of work environment that we really wanted. And um, it was a fantastic time. It was really, really, really great. And I learned so much and I enjoyed that work environment a lot. Yeah, but as a lot of things, uh, this came to an end this summer. So the other two people had left the company and I was the only one in Berlin. So I started rethinking about how I want to work because all of a sudden it was like, okay, you can create your own work environment, but like, how do you want to do that? And something that came up for me was... um, south america in a lot of ways so (laughs) it kind of feels like this this whole yeah the culture over there the nature is really calling me so i decided to go work remotely from there and i also already worked remotely from brazil at the beginning of the year and um, of course there are like a lot of things that i need to consider i need to like keep in mind but for example when i was in uh, brazil I felt that it was really working out well. And it was also putting me into that position of understanding that I can figure out things by myself. Because 
the the beginning of my programming uh, career, I would say, it was always kind of like important to have someone next to me that I could ask in a case of getting stuck or yeah, not knowing what to do. And working remotely puts you into like a different situation of like, okay, like, let's see how I can figure this out by myself. And it was a big mind shift. And I realized how that mind shift also really led to like less stress. So like whenever I would encounter a problem now, I was like less stressed or like less anxious and I was, it would be more clear and like, okay, I can actually figure this out. And yeah, so that's one of the big things that happened. And in general, making sure that I have like overlapping time with my colleagues, like I will adapt my sleeping time so that I'm not, I'm not working complete opposite hours of my colleagues. What's the time zone difference there? It's, I think, seven hours uh, to Costa Rica and six hours to Peru. So I'm going to both of these countries. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, my sleeping schedule is usually very flexible, so I will I will adapt to that. And uh, it was also not, not an issue when I was in Brazil. And the other part is also, of course, um, making sure to have a stable connection, making sure to have like regular calls with the people in Sweden so that I'm, I'm staying in contact of like what's happening and what's going on. And like, yeah, just understanding what the things are that people are talking about in the office kind of like, because especially as a like I'm one of two remote people, so it's not a lot of remote people. And um it's really important to just stay in the loop of, of what's happening. Yeah. How do you go about finding a good, reliable connection? Yeah. You got any tricks? Um, not yet, I guess, because when I was in Brazil, I was always living with friends and they just always happened to have like a very good connection. And at the moment, I'm trying to talk to the people who are there or who have been there at the place and say like, okay, like what is the internet connection or the situation? Like how fast is it? How stable? How reliable is it? And it's definitely going to be a challenge this time because it's, it's not as easy as, um, yeah, when I was in Brazil, but I always want to have kind of like a backup. Like I'm probably going to get a SIM card with just some data so that I can, in the worst case, like have my own uh, hotspot. But yeah, it's just something that I need to have in mind and need to consider. Yeah. And so do you know other people over there when you're going to be there? Uh, yeah, I know a couple of people. So in the summer, I connected to a couple of people from there. And that was also why I made that decision to go there. Yeah, it has to, a lot to do with like personal development or the more the other side of my life that is more connected to embodied practices. And I'm very, very excited to, yeah, just to keep working on that because I, I know how, how it influences my life in a positive way. Nice. So uh, if you're going to be working remotely and at quite a different sort of time zone from, from everyone else, I guess, is your work going to be a little bit more isolated from the others or you can't be sort of so synchronous possibly so do you know how that's going to work yes i mean we're at the moment working in like quite small teams together so our work is in a way it is connected and at the same time it's um 
there's like possibility to work on something at the same time from like different perspectives or like from like the back end and the front end part. And yeah, we have like, I personally just want to make sure that like I'm synchronizing with the people in the, in the morning. So we have like a check-in where we kind of talk about what's happening and what we're working on. And as long as I really stay on top of feeling connected to the people that I work with and knowing what's going on there, um, I'm very, yeah, I know, I know that that works for me. I mean, at the moment, I'm also working remote from Berlin. So the only additional um, challenge that is going to come there is uh, the time zone difference. But that's really like... The, the most important thing is um, communication. So communication is really the key for working well together and also for supporting each other. And for me, this is one of the most important things to really supporting each other and like helping each other out because I know how frustrating it can get when um, you're working on a problem by yourself and you're just running against one wall after the other and it's good to just have people around that you can kind of like zoom out and see the problem from like a little bit further away again. One of the inspirations that I just found like a couple of days ago was also from my friend, uh, Jonathan Klott. And I really like to keep those two things in mind and to see how, how it affects my work life. And yeah, the first principle here is um, responsible freedom instead of fixed rules. And the other one is making dynamic decisions instead of being paralyzed. And I think, yeah, both of those things really go to the core of like the way that we were working in the past and why this is not working anymore right now and trying to see how we can change the dynamics of our work life. Sure. Can you unpack those two a little more? Yeah, of course. So... Responsible freedom instead of fixed rules. It's really about understanding that we're all self-responsible for our actions and that we also trust each other. So if you trust that somebody will make decisions based on everybody's best interest, then it is okay to let go of some rules. So I like to see rules as kind of guiding structure to like understand, okay, this is this is the general structure that we want to aim for. But if there are like situations where that doesn't work, it's also good to be able to break free of that and say, hey, I know that in this situation, we don't have to follow this rule. And I know that I can bring in something else. And I think that's that's really, yeah, really important. And the other one was making dynamic decisions instead of being paralyzed. Um, yeah, that's all about not getting stuck on difficult problems. So if you have like big problem and nobody really knows how to go about it, just try something like make one decision and try something that seems to be working for now and then readapt, like not being afraid of making mistakes, trying different things and see how you can reiterate on that so that you can actually move forward and not get stuck on the big challenges. Great. So is there anything else you'd like to uh, plug or mention in closing? Hmm. Yeah. So if there are any closure developers um, in Gothenburg, we are looking for full stack developers at the moment. Yeah. And always happy for, for new people and new inputs. And 
one thing that I really want to share is just my gratitude and yeah, how happy I am to be in the closure community and really how much it has shaped my life. I think before I I found my way into this world, I was kind of I was yeah thinking like oh how am I gonna find a job or like how is my work life gonna look like or how how am I gonna create the kind of work environment that I want to have. And I feel like through the closure community, there was always so much support and so much also like, yeah, caring people who are very, very smart and very motivational and supportive. Um, it's just an amazing environment to be in. And I'm super grateful for everything that I got from all the people. So, yeah, I think what I want to say is keep on doing the good work and keep on really valuing the community because that is in the end what brings us further like we like by ourselves we can only do so much but if we come together and really combine our skills and our experiences um there's a lot that we can move and i'm super excited just to to see that and to also like push that forward great thanks for that and thanks for your ideas about new ways of working uh yeah i look forward to thinking more about those and seeing you talk about them more on the conference stage. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And also thank you for the whole work you put into the community and yeah, all the things you do. I think it's super, super great. Thanks.